Good morning. How are you guys? My name's Alan. I'm one of the elders here. Normally, I get the privilege of leading worship. I'm a music minister. But occasionally, they strap me into teaching and, and preaching, and so I just do the best I can with it. Uh, we're in the middle of a new sermon series called Empowered. And what it's about is we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And how can we live that empowered life that we read about in the Bible? Have you noticed that if you read through Acts or you read much about the Bible, those Christians seem to have a quality of life, a strength of conviction and a purpose that isn't always present in our churches. So what's missing? What's the difference? In our, our first lesson we looked at, we talked about how the Spirit is not an it. He is a Him. And that we're not going to be able to connect to Him and, and be empowered, as it were, to, to plug in if we think of Him as an it or a program. Any more than you could have a relationship with any human by considering them a program. We'll have to relate to the Lord on His terms as a person. That's what we talked about in that first one. In the second one, what we looked at was and this was just last week, we looked at what happens when you plug into the Spirit and why He wants you to be empowered. What is He up to? And so that leads us naturally to this next lesson, the one today that I hope to do some justice to, is talking about being filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you guys have heard that phrase before? Filled with the Spirit. How many of you guys know what it means? <laughs> yeah. I remember one time being asked, has anybody ever asked you, are you spirit-filled? Yeah. How did you feel about the question and how did you answer? I remember being asked that a couple of different times and I was a little taken back by the question. And I remember thinking, well, you know, I was baptized into Jesus and according to Scripture, He moved in, the Holy Spirit lives inside me, I'm sealed with Him, so is that what you're talking about? And what I found out is they were talking about something different. And there are a lot of different theories, a lot of different doctrines about what being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about. Let's start off by looking at where this verse comes from. Look at the verse where this thought comes from. It's found in Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Paul there says, so then, be careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but wise. Making the best use of your time because the times are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. So one of the things that, that I noticed in this verse is it's a command. Did you catch that? Paul is commanding us to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So he is talking about something different than the indwelling of the Spirit that happens whenever we transfer allegiance and loyalty from ourselves in this world to Jesus and His kingdom, right? So this is for Christians. We're commanded to keep on being filled. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Anybody want to take a stab at it? I'll give you what I think. I think we, we, because of the way that he phrases this and makes the command, see, he's contrasting something here, isn't he? He's contrasting being filled with wine with being filled with the Spirit. Now, I would ask how many of you know what it is to be filled with alcohol, but let me, let me put it in first person. I know what it is like to be filled with, with alcohol. And the contrast is to be filled with the Spirit. I think it means two things, and the first one is, it means living under the influence of the Spirit. Living under the influence of the Spirit. Some of you guys know this about me. My first real job as an adult was as a cop. I was a police officer in a small town of about 10,000. I wrote, in my first, my rookie year, I wrote over 100 DUI arrests. Driving under the influence. What happens to people whenever they're under the influence of wine. We know this, don't we? When we get filled up with alcohol, we relax our inhibitions. And we would do things that are contrary to our moral nature. Again, I don't want to ask for a show of hands. First person. 
I've done things contrary to my moral nature whenever I've had too much to drink. That's not unusual, is it? And Paul knows that it wasn't unusual in his time either. And so he wants us to understand what it is to lose your inhibitions due to alcohol. And he wants us to be filled with the Spirit instead so that we'll lose our inhibitions, relax our inhibitions, and do things that are contrary to our immoral nature. Do you catch the difference? See, when you're under the influence of alcohol, you'll do things that you wouldn't normally do. Guess what? When you're under the Spirit, when you're under the influence of the Spirit, you'll do things you wouldn't normally do either. Now, some people will take at this point and start saying that you'll do crazy things like run around the building, jump a pew, speak in some kind of a tongue. I'm not here to argue about any of that. But I think there are some things that we can find from the text that will give us a real clear picture. And, of course, some of what we talked about last week would be applicable to what we're talking about here. But the second thing that it means to be filled with the Spirit is it means that the door is open for God to grant extra power for service at special times. To be filled with the Spirit means that the door is open for God to grant extra power for service at special times. If you read specifically through the book of Acts, you're going to read about people that were filled with the Spirit. And what happened? In every occasion, they rose to the occasion that they were presented with. And they came out of themselves and they were different. They served God. See, you can't get that extra boost of power if the door isn't open. If, if you're not being filled at all, if you're not under the influence of the Spirit, when those occasions come, there will be no power to respond to them the way that, that God wants us to. Now, Paul says to keep on being filled by the Spirit. Why do we need to keep on being filled by the Spirit? i got two reasons for that. And see, this is where some of the debate on this topic comes from. Some people view being filled with the Spirit as a one-time event. Sometimes they think it, it's, uh, they, they associate it with baptism of the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit. You've heard of that one too, right? I'm not going to talk about baptism of the Spirit today. Because it, 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 honestly, this lesson has the potential of going like all day. Because there's a lot to this. And I'm going to do the best I can to keep this condensed, but that means I'm going to have to sacrifice some detail. And one of the things I would love to talk about is the difference between being filled with the Spirit and baptism of the Spirit. If you want to talk to me about that later, I'm always available. And let's look for right now, though, two things about being filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled. From the text here, I think we want to, be keep, we want to keep on being filled by the Spirit so that we can make the best use of our time. Look what Paul says here. Look at it. Listen to his reasoning. He says, be careful how you live. See, he's contrasting two different things in this verse. He's contrasting being unwise with being wise and being filled with alcohol with being filled with the Spirit. He's not shifting thoughts. He's carrying on the same thought. And he says there, don't be unwise but wise, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the times are evil. The days are evil. Would, would you think that the days that we live in times whenever evil is around? We're confronted with it all the time. We're confronted with it in the really obvious ways that make the, the headlines and the news programs, but we also see it in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families. And so why do we want to keep on being filled with the Spirit? Because if we don't, we will waste our time. More appropriately, we waste God's time. What do you consider to be a waste of your time? Think about that for a second. What do you consider to be wasting your time? And would God say, yep, you're right, that's a waste of your time? See, I think if we don't think about how we use our time, the big thing that I get out of this is, my time isn't mine. I, bought, I was bought at a price. So the time I have, God wants me to use it His way. If I'm not keeping on being filled with the Spirit, you know what's going to happen to my time? Something else will fill me up. It's usually me. And something else will control my time. 
and I won't use it the way that God wants me to. And that is equated to being unwise rather than being wise. The second reason why we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit is to keep from running out of power. I mean, just think about it. The Spirit wants to influence us. He wants to empower us to work and to please the Lord and to accomplish His goals. And we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, right? Well, if I don't keep on being filled with the power, being filled with the Spirit, I'm going to run out of power and probably whenever I need it the most. How many of you guys have gone through those phases where all of a sudden you start feeling empty? Where all of a sudden you're facing a challenge and you just seem dry inside? Even worse for me is where I've gone through those, those times and somebody else needed help. And I didn't have anything to give. Because I hadn't been allowing myself, I hadn't kept up with being filled with the Spirit. Like I said, being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time instance. You have to keep being filled. Now, some of your translations will just say, be filled with the Spirit. The reason why I chose the ISV is because the Greek tense of, of the word there, the action, is more appropriately to keep on being filled. It's a continuing action. But I'm not basing my argument solely over a 2,000-year-old Greek grammar lesson. I can prove this another way. How many times do you think Peter was filled with the Spirit? How many times were we told in, the, in Scripture that he was? How about Paul? If, would you agree that if Scripture records that they were filled with the Spirit more than one time, then being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time occurrence? Okay, then I've proved my point. You'll find out that, that Peter, at least three different times, was filled with the Spirit. You'll find it in Acts 2, which was Pentecost, right? You'll find it in Acts 4, verses 8, which we'll, we'll pull out and talk about just here in a second, what was going on there. And we'll find it in chapter 4, verse 31. And Paul, at least twice, you'll find that in Acts 9, 17 through 20, and chapter 13, verse 9. What does it look like? What does, what does being filled with the Spirit look like? If you just read, and, and we live in an age where it's really easy to study the Bible. If you want to check out, and I hope you check out what I'm telling you, because I'll tell you the truth as best as I know it, but I'm just a guy. I'm just a student myself. You need to take responsibility, not just check your brain out and let me tell you what to think. You need to do your own research on this and see if what I'm telling you is right. Use your computer. There are online programs. Do a word search for filled with the Spirit and see what those verses tell you about it. Now, I mentioned that Peter, we have three different occasions where we're told that he was filled with the Spirit. Acts 2, you know what was happening there, right? Jesus had said, listen, go to Jerusalem, stay there till you get power. I'll, I'll send you the Comforter. I'll send you the Spirit. And Pentecost, the Spirit comes. And you remember the story. Every, all of a sudden, the whole town hears something that sounds like this great big wind, and they come rushing to see what's going on. And when they get there... They see this group of people, and they got something dancing on their heads that looks like fire, and they're talking in languages that they couldn't possibly have, have studied. And what happens? Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and what does he do? He preaches. He preaches. He stands up and he boldly proclaims the gospel. And in Acts 3, you'll find that he and John are hanging out at the temple, which was an early hangout place for, for the disciples. They're hanging out at the temple. There's a guy who's been there his whole life. who does, He can't walk. He's always been this way. He's been born this way. And they heal this guy, which draws a crowd. And Peter's filled with the Spirit. And he speaks. And he teaches boldly about Christ. Which gets both of them into a jam. For a lot of reasons, the local authorities at the temple did not want Jesus proclaimed more than their temple. And so, this is like... I could describe it, but you get the idea. They're pulling away the crowds after Jesus rather than sending them on into the temple, and that's going to lose them money and power and all kinds of things. So this gets them into a problem. And they take them, they throw them in jail, and the next morning they bring them before the highest court in the land, which is the Sanhedrin. The closest thing that we've got that would resemble that is the Supreme Court. 
How many of you guys would like to be busted, thrown in jail, and hauled in front of the Supreme Court to be grilled? Ah, would it intimidate you? My wife grills me occasionally and I get intimidated. I couldn't imagine facing the Sanhedrin. But we're told in this narrative, in Luke's narrative, he says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. What did he do whenever he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Jump a pew, start talking crazy, laugh uncontrollably. No, he got bold. He got bold. And he spoke with boldness and confidence about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. This being filled with the Spirit is going to come back a lot to this boldness that we get. And it sort of makes sense too, doesn't it? When you're under the influence of the Spirit, it makes sense that being bold would be a natural result if you just think about it. But the story doesn't end there. They are so mad at Peter and John, they want to do something to them, but they can't. Because the guy that everybody knows was lame is standing there walking. So they can't do much to him, so they threaten him. And they tell him, quit preaching. Peter and John are let go. Where do they go? They go to their small group. How many of you guys are part of a small group? Doesn't it make a difference? And these guys have just witnessed God do something miraculous. God used them to speak. Their high court wasn't just about laws. Their religion was the law. And they just proclaimed Jesus to the highest authorities and the greatest center of resistance in their time. And they did it fearlessly. And Luke records that the people who had put them on trial were amazed at their confidence. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, for years I read that passage and I thought, ah, it's that they were around Jesus that caused them to be bold. That doesn't quite explain it. I totally missed the whole part about him being filled with the Spirit made him bold. Peter is the same guy who spent three years in Jesus' ministry and when he's confronted about it, denies Jesus. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus. It wasn't just that he had been with Jesus that made him bold and changed him. It was this being filled with the Spirit that changed him. I'm not denying that hanging out with Jesus wouldn't have a good impact on a guy. But I'm saying that that's what... So they come back to their small group and they start praying. They, they, they tell them everything in their small group. This is what happened to us. This is what God's done. And they start praying and talking. And, and I'm going to pick it up in Acts 4, verse 29 through 33. And this is how Luke records it. He says in their prayer, they're saying, Now, Lord, take note of their hearts and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Here's this confidence again. Here's this boldness that comes through the Spirit. While you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken. So they're praying. Have you ever been in a place where you prayed so fervently that the room shook? Me either. That hasn't happened to me, but it happened here. The place where they were together shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. By the way, I've looked at this before and thought, man, if we just had the right hearts and we prayed fervently, maybe God would shake the building. You ever thought that? Same God, same power. He certainly could. But it sort of misses the point. The miracle isn't that the building shook. That's not what being filled with the Spirit's all about. Shaking buildings... That's easy. The real miracle is that all of them began to talk boldly. All of them began to talk boldly because they were all filled with the Spirit when they prayed together. Verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. He's still talking about the effect of being filled with the Spirit. They were filled with one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. That's a spirit-filled church. Did you catch that? That's a spirit-filled small group. 
Now, many times over the, over the years, we've talked about what kind of a church we want to be. We've talked about how we should be, how we can honor God. And we've even gone so far as to put up a banner one time with a vision statement of what kind of a church we would be. But did you notice what kind of a church this was? This is a, this is a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pull it apart for a second because nothing has changed in 2,000 years. The Spirit hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. His will for His people and His church and what He wants to do when He fills us and empowers us hasn't changed. What happens whenever this church gets filled with the Spirit? And what happens when you get filled with the Spirit? You will, number one, you'll speak the Word of God boldly. You'll speak the Word of God boldly. How many of you guys want to be in a church where everybody speaks the Word of God with confidence? Yeah. It sort of stinks whenever only a couple of people do. Do you speak the Word of God with confidence? Because churches are made up of people. If you want to be in a church that's Spirit-filled and speaks the Word of God with confidence, you're going to have to be the one who's filled with the Spirit and speaks the Word of God with confidence. Paul even said it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He said that the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gave us, does not make us timid. Being timid and reserved and quiet and sheepish about our Lord, about our faith, about the gospel, does not come from the Spirit of God. That comes from another Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, there will be a confidence. Second thing that happens when you're filled with the Spirit from this verse, this passage, this story in Acts 4, is you'll have Unity of heart and purpose. You'll find that in verse 32. You'll have a unity of heart and purpose. What that means is moving from a mindset of me to a mindset of we. Have you ever been of one heart and one purpose with somebody? It's pretty cool, isn't it? A lot of marriages at least begin that way. Churches are supposed to be that way. And Luke describes what it was like whenever they did have this one heart and this one purpose. We move from a mindset of me to a mindset of we. When you came here this morning, what was your mindset on? Me or we? Because we're an assembly, just one. One of many all over the world this morning that have gathered in Jesus' name. We're no more special than any of the others. We, we look different, we talk different, we act somewhat different, but we're just a part of the body of Christ. But did you come in here thinking about you or thinking about Him and His body and the others that you would meet today? See, when you're filled with the Spirit, your focus will shift from me to we. That's what happened here in Acts 4 when they were filled with the Spirit. The other thing is we move from focusing on what I deserve to what God deserves. We'll shift. That's part of having this unity of heart and purpose that comes when we're filled with the Spirit. We shift our focus from what I deserve to what God deserves. Anybody here ever been offended by another member here? Been treated bad? Wrong? Whenever you're filled with the Spirit, you'll think less about what you deserve and more about what God deserves. Someone treats you legitimately wrong and bad. What, whenever you think about what you deserve, where does your mind go? Could be retaliation, right? I demand an apology. I demand that you give me what I deserve. That is not filled with the Spirit. That is not having one heart and one purpose. When you shift, and, and I'm telling you, this is very freeing. Yes, there's some surrender and submission that's involved with it. I'm not going to take that out of it. But the fact is, is when you shift your thoughts from what I deserve to what God deserves, it will change your, it'll change every relationship you have. 
it will absolutely change your marriage. Because what do you guys fight about in your marriages? Money? That'll come back to what you think you deserve. Sex? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Couples fight about sex. Usually because it's about they're focused on what they deserve. What happens to churches? Why do they split? Why do they not get along? What keeps them to be divided and divisive? And instead of being unified and having one heart and one purpose and working for the Lord, someone gets offended. Someone is focused on what they deserve and they start fighting for it. But all of a sudden, if I change my focus, if I let the Spirit fill me, He will change my focus. And I will start thinking about what God deserves. And in any of those scenarios I just listed out to you, what happens whenever you drop what I deserve and you think about what God deserves? What does God deserve when someone mistreats me? What does He deserve? You know the answer to that. I don't believe it's possible for a church to have one heart and one purpose unless they're willing to let go of me and embrace we and unless they're willing to let go of what I deserve and seek after what God deserves. And I don't think that that's possible unless you're filled with the Spirit. Third thing that happens when you're filled with the Spirit is you will have, it's the same verse, you'll have real fellowship and generosity. Real fellowship and generosity. Do you guys ever think about the difference between joy and happiness? There's a difference between the two, right? Well, which one's better? Joy. Why is joy better? You can have joy regardless of the circumstances. It goes so much deeper, right? Happiness kind of on circumstances. You know, you're in one circumstance, I'm happy, but it won't last. The circumstances change and you're not happy anymore. If you've got joy, it's really a lot better. Have you ever considered the difference between fellowship and friendship? Because it's roughly the same difference. Happiness comes and goes. So do friends. Usually friendships are based on, well, it doesn't cost me more than I get back. So we're friends. Fellowship goes a lot deeper. It stays there whenever it costs me. See, fellowship is whenever we've got the same heart, the same mind, the same purpose, and we know that we're in this together and we're going to help each other for God's sake to do His work. And fellowship doesn't evaporate when times get hard or whenever you're not at your best. And generosity is a part of the picture. Now, just for a second here, let me, let's just review this for a second. The church that we're talking about, the small group that, that we're reading about here, they were defined as people who spoke the Word of God boldly, who had unity of heart and purpose, and who had real fellowship and generosity. Is that the kind of church you would like to go to? Really? You don't know? <laughs> well, everything I just described sounds like a bad deal to you? you? You sense where I'm going with this, so you're kind of reluctant. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. To be a part of that, I'm going to have to be Spirit-filled. And I'm going to have to keep on being filled with the Spirit. I think it's great and it's wonderful for us to talk about what we want the church to be and to have some goals and some things like that. But this is what we ought to be focused on. We ought to focus on and desire being a Spirit-filled church and being a church like this. So, how can you start being filled with the Spirit? Again, we're not talking about being saved here. That's a different lesson. We're talking to people who are saved but how do they get empowered? How do they come to where they can live under the influence of the Spirit? How can they be filled with the Spirit? Where does it begin? This is not a recipe. These are just some elements that I find in Scripture that take us this direction. The first thing I would show you is that if we're going to be, start being filled with the Spirit, we've got to begin with thirsting for it. Thirsting for it. Have you ever been really thirsty? Are you passive about getting a drink when you're really thirsty? Whenever you're really thirsty, you'll get desperate. 
How many times have you read about somebody who had no water and they're out in the ocean and their thirst will drive them to drink salt water? Which they know is going to hurt them and, and make it worse. But when you're thirsty, you're going to get that thing filled. What did David say about it? As a deer pants after water, so my soul thirsts after you. David was acquainted with being thirsty. Look what Jesus says about it in John chapter 7, verse 37. He said, On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes me, believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John goes on to clarify for us in verse 39. He says, but this he spoke of the Spirit. This thirst, this quenching, this, this living water that flows out starts with a thirst, wanting more of God. He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. At that point, they had not. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, Jesus has been glorified and the Spirit has been given but are you thirsty for him? See, God is only going to give his spirit to those who thirst for it, for those who want more of him. He's not going to give you his spirit and empower you if you're not thirsty, if you don't really want it. A lot of Christians seem like they really couldn't care less about the spirit. Now, I can point that statement outside this room and outside of this church, but what good does that do? The reality is... And you can see it too. You're surrounded by people. Not all of them care about being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be a church that's filled with the Spirit that we all agree we'd like to be a part of, that's described for us in Acts 4, then we're going to have to start caring about being filled with the Spirit and stop just being satisfied and content or apathetic about the Spirit working in our lives. If you're not sure you really want everything that God wants for you this morning, if you're not sure you really want everything God wants for you, you're probably not in a position to receive what He has to give. That sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It's not complicated or hard to understand, is it? Do you really want what God wants for you? That was the deal when you got saved. The deal was you surrendered, you died to yourself, and you were born again into a new kingdom with a new king, a new Lord who gets to say what you do. Are you reneging? What kind of a servant are you? How can you start being filled with the Spirit? First, thirst for it. Second, ask for it. Ask for it. We've, we've talked about this verse every time I've preached so far. It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Remember, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Have you asked for the Spirit? You know, the verb, again, Greek grammar, the verb in there indicates that we're supposed to keep on asking. Have you quit asking for the Lord to fill you with the Spirit? If getting drunk and staying drunk requires me to keep applying alcohol, and that's the comparison to being filled with the Spirit. Am I not going to keep asking for God to fill me? When you pray, is that what you ask for? See, I don't think we're going to get serious about this being filled with the Spirit and see that kind of a church that we read about here until our prayer life, we ask more about God giving us His Spirit and doing what He wants to with us and through us, asking for that more than we ask for money, and relationships, and privilege, and entitlement, all these selfish things like God works for us. A lot of Christians today really get this backwards. They view God almost like this genie. If I do right, and I stay away from the wrong, the wrong then God will grant me all these good things. Uh-uh. Sometimes He does. Sometimes He does. I'm not dissatisfied with what He's done for me. But pleasing God is a different standard than having God please me. And in pleasing God, sometimes it will please me. A lot of times it won't. doesn't matter. It's about, am I pleasing Him? 
And I got to keep asking to keep being filled. Third thing, to start being filled, I'm going to have to have some faith, aren't I? I'm going to have to have faith that God will fill me. You'll have to have faith that God will fill you. I'm going to move on a little quick here. There's, man, every one of these points I feel like I could drill down and, and talk on for hours. So I'm having to really move quickly. I don't like it. But I gave you some scripture references there. And I hope, since we're not able in this format, frankly, to really talk this out, I hope what I'm doing here this morning is starting a conversation that you guys will finish up in your small groups and in your homes, at your dinner tables, and wherever you get with other believers that you'll talk about this more deeply and really work through it. The, the number four here is to start being filled with the Spirit, I'm going to have to let the Word of Christ make its home in me. You'll have to let the Word of Christ make its home in you. What am I talking about? Let the Word make its home in you. Well, I'm getting that from Colossians 3.16. By the way, Colossians 3.16 is a, very, is a parallel to the verse we started off with in Ephesians 5. Listen to how Paul says it here. He says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell within you is not, okay, I read a random piece of Scripture every now and then and hope I find some nugget or hope that maybe by having the discipline to read a little every day, something will pop. That's just being religious. We have encouraged people to have daily quiet times for years, as long as I've been a part of this church. And I've seen some people make the mistake of thinking that, well, if I spend 5, 10, 15 minutes every day just reading something, then I'm good. That is not the same thing as letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in you is whenever you read it and consider it and ask questions of it and think about it through the day. You get me? Let's see what else he says here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That sounds like the same list we read in Ephesians 5, doesn't it? Or that we're going to read. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, the big difference between Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 is in Ephesians 5, Paul calls it being filled with the Spirit. And in, Ephesians, in Colossians 3, he calls it letting the Word of Christ dwell within you. Now, I'm not a smart guy. I freely confess that. I'm not that smart. But these two things sound almost like the exact same thing. Their effect is the same. I'm thinking that they must be seriously connected. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. It will not happen absent of putting the Word of God in you. And that's something that nobody else can do for you. That's something, all that, all that any preacher could ever do or any small group leader or any pastor out there on the internet could ever do is get you started. All any of us can do for another person is help get them started. My goal here this morning is to hope get you started and pointed in the right direction. And the direction isn't at me. I'm not the fount of all knowledge. I'm hoping to point you to the Word. And have you become a student of the Word? Why is it so important that you take responsibility for reading the Bible for yourself? First of all, I believe that we have a God who's smart enough to write a book that you can read and understand. I think you can understand it. So stop that excuse. You're going to have to take some responsibility. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit... If you want to see the kind of church we just read about, if you want this place to be that kind of a church, and I sure do, I can't read it for you. I can help you, but I can't do it for you. You're going to have to let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. You ever had something that you're trying to move into a house and it just doesn't fit? It doesn't look right. It just stands out. It's like in the middle of everything. In some of us, the Word of God looks like that. Because there's too much other stuff in the room. And this doesn't fit. It doesn't look like all the other stuff. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you're going to have to throw some things out and change the decor and let the Word of God be at home inside you. Does that make sense? 
That's where it starts. How can you keep on being filled? That's what we read, right? Keep on being filled with the Spirit. How do you keep it going? Let's go back to the where we started with this in Ephesians 5, 18-21. He says, Stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Then you will recite to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See how much that sounds like Colossians 3? You will sing and make music to the Lord with your hearts. And you will consistently give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. You might want to circle for everything in your notes because that's a pretty important qualifier. Be thankful in your hearts to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And you will submit to one another out of reverence for the Messiah. See, there's a starting place to becoming filled with the Spirit. There's a starting place, a way to start turning on the power and connecting with the Spirit and letting God fill you. But then to keep it going, I think Paul has given us some insight here. In verse 19, sing and make music to the Lord with your hearts. That's about having a worshipful heart. A worshipful heart. Why? Do, I think I say this every time they put me up here and put a microphone in my face. I always try to ask, why do you come here? If you come here without a worshipful heart, what does it do for you? And I'm not denying that there are people who get their fix of one sort or another by coming to church, but refuse to have a worshipful heart. But I can tell you, they're not going to be filled with the Spirit. And if they are filled with the Spirit at some point, if they begin that, they're going to drain really quickly and run out of power. Because if you don't have a worshipful heart, it's not going to show up in the way that you worship with others. To have a worshipful heart, it means singing from the heart. How many of you guys really feel put off and awkward about singing with us on Sunday morning? Just a couple people. I know this is a unique environment. Where else do you go and sit with people that maybe you don't even know, and all of a sudden you're singing songs together? That doesn't happen that often, right? But there's a difference between just singing a song and singing with your heart. Have you ever had anybody walk up to you and tell you, I hope your face isn't reflective of what's happening in your heart when we sing? Because you look mad? Or you look, I'm looking up so that nobody gets singled out. Because I know I've said this to some people. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll aim this way. <laughs> Has anybody ever said, you look disinterested when you sing. You don't sing. And you come back with the lame excuse, I don't sing because I don't sing good. Does that first say anything about the quality of your musical ability? It does not. If you don't sing with your heart, pretty good indication you're not being filled with the Spirit. Because he goes on, it, it's about worshiping with others. Again, we have to shift. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we have to shift from me to we. And while we all think we deserve to be comfortable when we get together, we should start asking, what does Jesus deserve when we get together? Seriously, does Jesus deserve you to sing with your heart with other believers? Does he deserve that? Absolutely. Being, being the worship minister here, I really try hard. I don't just sing any cool song. Some of you may think I don't sing any cool songs. <laughs> but the songs that we pick out are intended to teach the truth. I love songs that are good musically and they're built around or they're just a verse from the Bible. See, where I sing here, I'm singing for God but I'm singing to you. Some of you know because I look you in the eyes. And I will try to drag you out. If you're, if you're doing this thing, you're glazed over, I will try to get you to respond. And you'll catch me staring at you and then you'll smile. And maybe you'll start to clap a little bit and move and kind of come out of the funk that you were in. That's what this is supposed to do. When we're filled with the Spirit, your heart naturally is a worshipful place. And when your heart is worshipful, 
you'll want to sing, not because you sing so pretty that people are going to notice you and give you this, but you're going to sing because you want that message. How many times have you had a verse come to your mind when you needed it because it came in the form of a song? Yeah. That's why we're supposed to do that. This is part of being filled with the Spirit. The second thing, if you're going to keep on being filled with the Spirit, comes out of verse 20. It's about being thankful for everything. I believe that means exactly what it says. Being thankful for everything. Well, let's just read it real quick. He says, you will, when you're filled with the Spirit, you will consistently give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Messiah. Some of you might challenge me. You mean I'm supposed to be thankful for how I'm being treated right now? Yeah. You mean I'm supposed to be thankful for all the, the wrong things? Yeah. How am I supposed to be thankful for all the pain and all the problems and all the suffering and frustration? Well, you're not going to get there on your own. It'll come from the Spirit. But I would give you something to think about that I don't have time to give enough attention to this morning. And that is I would send you to Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 and 29. Read it. Read those verses. Then read the whole chapter of Romans 8. And then read those two verses again. And see what the Spirit doesn't reveal to you about the things that you've experienced. Even those things that you think God has forgotten you because you went through these things. Even the hard things that cripple you sometimes. And see what God thinks about those things. Because He says, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Your big question there should be, do I love the Lord? Because if this is going to work, whatever it is that's bothering you this morning, whatever hard time you're going through, that it's hard for you to be thankful for, if you don't love the Lord, then the promise isn't for you. Good news, you can change the love the Lord part. Work together for good is defined good by God, not by us. Have you ever noticed that our idea of what good is sometimes is a little different than what the Lord has in mind? That's why verse 29 is so important. Because he says this is about being transformed to be like Jesus. Job says that as surely as sparks fly upward, man is, is born for trouble. Nobody that breathes air on this planet gets by without having problems. But not everybody gets to profit from those problems. In Christ, if we allow the Spirit to keep filling us, we will profit from the problems and the troubles that we've experienced and that we're experiencing now and that we will experience because they will transform us into the character of Christ. I'm very passionate about this point, and I want to spend more time with it, but I'm almost out of time already. I am out of time already. I hope that you'll talk about it more. See, being thankful, being, let's look at it from this angle too. Being unthankful and ungrateful leads to discontent, discontentment, and resentment. Being unthankful and ungrateful will lead you to being discontent and resentful. Think of a relationship. What's your, close your eyes for a second. What is the relationship that you cherish the most? That you are the most thankful for? Got it? Add into it, start being unthankful for it. You will become discontent and resentful in that relationship. This is the secret recipe for destroying any relationship. Husbands, become unthankful for your wives. Your marriage will turn into a living hell. Become unthankful for your children. You get the picture, right? Become unthankful for God and His work in your life and the relationship you have with Him and what He offers through His Spirit. But just be unthankful. It's not even being upset. It's just forgetting to be thankful and see what it does to your relationship with God. I guarantee you, you will become discontent and resentful. If you don't consciously give thanks to God, there's going to be things that you start to grumble about. People that are thankful don't grumble. People that are unthankful always grumble.
you'll start to grumble, you'll get angry, because your focus will shift from what does God deserve to what do I deserve. You'll stop thinking about we and start focusing on me. You see how these are connected? But if you'll let the Spirit fill you, you'll be thankful. You'll be grateful. If you don't, your heart is going to get dark. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. And some of you are there. You don't have to stay. You do not have to stay there. The Lord will fill you with His Spirit if you thirst for it. And if you'll pursue it and ask for it. If you'll believe and just trust Him that He's working in you. If you'll put the Word of God in you and you'll feed on it and think about it. He'll start filling you. I guarantee it. That's exactly what He wants to do. And if you want to keep being filled, worship. Worship with other believers. Sing and let people know you mean it, regardless of how you sound. I thought, by the way, I thought you guys sounded great today as you were singing. You really did sound good. I wish I was... Yeah. One, one of the great privileges that I have as a worship minister, and I guarantee I'll be asking some of the worship team about it later, is what do your faces say? Because when I'm up here, I'm looking at all you guys, and I can see which one of you are really singing with your heart and have a worshipful heart. And I can see those of you that are struggling. Oftentimes I know what the struggle is about. And I also know that some of you guys just don't care. And that breaks my heart. I know some of you guys that avoid coming into this auditorium until the preaching begins. That is not about being filled with the Spirit. That's about being filled with something else. And that is not about we. That's about me. And it's time to repent. And if I'm the first person that said that to you, I'm sorry, but you need to hear it. The other thing that happens, how can you keep on being filled with the Spirit? Verse 21. Be submissive and stop trying to get your way. Man, this is the most un-American verse in the Bible, I think. And the one that is the hardest. Which one of you guys love the word submit whenever it's aimed at you? All of us husbands love to say, wife, you're supposed to submit. Says so right here. But they miss this verse which came just before it about submit to one another. We're all supposed to submit. And see, the part about being submissive is about stop trying to get your way. You move from me to we. You stop pursuing what you deserve and you start pursuing what God deserves. That's what the Spirit does. You can do this. You can move there. Be submissive and stop trying to get your way. Philippians 2, Paul said, don't do anything from selfish or empty conceit, which, by the way, is rampant in this church. I'm one of your elders. I'm supposed to say this. In fact, if I read my Bible right, I'm going to be judged on whether or not I have the guts to speak boldly to you and to tell you you're full of crap. Some of you guys are a whole lot more concerned about your vacation than you are about this church being spirit-filled in God's mission. And you think of yourself a lot more than you do of anybody else. Paul, when he makes this, this point in Philippians 2... He's challenging us to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to be like Him. We're not supposed to do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I've had to learn that there's a difference between acting humble in a situation and being humble of mind. Now, my first foray into the, the wilderness of humility was to begin to act humble in certain situations. And then I realized, that's superficial. That's not what I'm required to do. See, having humility in mind is about my thought life. Not just what I do in the moment. By the way, if I'm not focusing on being humble of mind and putting you guys and other people as higher value than me, which happens, by the way, kind of automatically whenever I move from me to we, and whenever I stop thinking about what I deserve and I start thinking about what God deserves... There's a humility of mind that comes into that. And so what comes flowing out of me whenever I get mistreated is not trying to get my way. 
By the way, I have a batting average on this. I, I still strike out some. But God has moved me a great deal of the way. Being submissive is about not fighting for your way. And you can't do that through your own strength. You're going to need the power that comes from the Spirit. Do you, you see how this is connected? Romans 10.12 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. If you want to keep on being filled with the Spirit, that's what you do. Now, I neglected to do something because I don't have in my notes what I have on your notes. Whenever I was going through, and I want to be real quick with this if I can, whenever we look at uh, what does being filled with the Spirit look like, in your notes, the first one is to speak the Word of God boldly. There are four batteries beside that in your notes. And I forgot to tell you about this. There's one that's nearly empty. Each one gets more full. The reason why I've got those there is because I want you to do a self-evaluation. How boldly do you speak the Word of God? Circle the boundary that tells you relatively where you are in proportion to Jesus filling you with His Spirit. And having unity of heart and purpose, which battery mostly reflects how unified you are with the people that are Christians in this room and God's purpose. And to have real fellowship and generosity. You don't have fellowship with anybody in this church? You're not filled. I'm sorry, you're not. I just proved it to you out of Scripture, didn't I? We want to be this kind of church, don't we? This church that we're reading about in Acts 4 changed the world. And we don't remember any of their names. Because they weren't the ones... You know, we don't praise the greater Jerusalem Church of Christ. We don't even know about these individuals, but we praise God. We praise Jesus. And we change how the Holy Spirit through these people changed the world. And we're the beneficiaries of them being filled with the Spirit, aren't we? Don't we want to be like that? For God's glory, for Him to get His purposes? Okay, you just said you were. I'm going to stop my lesson here real quick and we're going to do something kind of unique and different that I may get in trouble for. Maybe I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm bolder than I should be. I'd like for you guys, what we've been doing for a while, and I think Mark just kind of forgot it, we've been trying to focus more on praying. Like we read about in Acts 4, that church did. And so after the time of communion, when we take communion, it's made good sense to get into smaller groups and to spend some time talking to God. This is my challenge and how I want to finish up this lesson today. I've just tried to persuade you for three weeks in a row that we want to be empowered that we can be empowered that we should be empowered by the Spirit that God has got this amazing life for each one of us and today I've been trying to persuade you that rather than putting up a list of goals and calling it a vision statement which vision statements is just another way of saying agenda Rather than having an agenda for the church that I came up with or me and some select group of people came up with, I'm trying to persuade you that we ought to get back to desiring what God does whenever He fills His people and being that kind of a church. And for the most part, you guys agreed with me. So here's what I want to do. In Acts 4, when they had heard about what all God was doing, in their small groups, they prayed. And they asked God to fill them to make them bold, to make them the church that God did make them. And the nature of their prayer was so powerful that the place shook. And that's not the miracle. The miracle is they all left filled with the Spirit. And they continued being filled. And they spoke boldly. And all these characteristics that we so think a church ought to have happened because they prayed. You just told me you wanted to be that kind of church. What I'm going to ask you to do now is to break into your small groups. And this is how we're going to end it this morning. I'd like for you to break into your small groups and we're going to spend just five minutes begging God to fill us. You okay with that? If you're not in a small group, you don't have a small group, go to somebody else's group and learn how to have fellowship with the people in that group because you need it to be spirit-filled. So, whenever you're done with that praying, just a few minutes of asking God for that, let's see if He shakes the place. I guarantee you this is the kind of prayer that God will fill, that will answer if you pray it from a heart that really wants it. And let's see if we don't change 
about five minutes, the worship team will sing another song. And it'll be a, a chance for you to fill out your communication cards. And then they'll sing a final song and we'll be done this morning. So with that, I ask you guys, instead of me praying for us to end the sermon, I'd like for you guys to pray for us to end this sermon. Go ahead.